3 and 4. We read a ton of scripture last week. We're going to read even more scripture this week. We're journeying through the first part of the book of Acts this summer in June and July. And then we're going to come back in mid-October and pick up and look at Paul and Barnabas and Silas and the missionary journeys. uh, And that will lead us into the Christmas season. So we're excited to be in the book of Acts and and see what what was happening with uh, the first Christians. What was happening as the church became a reality. And if you don't have your Bible, grab a pew Bible. And uh, Acts 3 is on page 1079 in your pew Bible. And uh, in all seriousness, if you don't have a Bible, take the pew Bible. It can be your Bible. You can write your name on it. Just cross out First Christian Church and write your name in that place. And the only thing that we ask is that you use that Bible and that you read that Bible and that we grow in our knowledge of God's Word together. We're still taking church directory picture submittals. So if you have a JPEG, if you know what a JPEG is, send it to the office. If you don't know what a JPEG is, that means we probably need to take your picture. And we're going to be doing that in a couple weeks. Uh, Russ Hicks will be back uh, following and even before services in a couple weeks to take your picture. But we're wanting to, to wrap that up in the next several weeks. Tuesday night, who doesn't like singing and drama and, and a teenage youth choir? The Lincoln Christian Church Youth Choir, the Good News production will be here at 7 p.m. So come on out and support them. Wednesday is our mobile food pantry. We're hosting the mobile food pantry in the parking lot, and I need help. I need a lot of help, so if you can give me from 2 to 5 p.m., would love to have you come out, wear a hat, wear sunscreen. It's going to be hot, but we'll be serving our community. And the last time uh, that we were able to host a mobile food pantry, I think we served 150 different families. Um, If you would like to help us spread the word to people that would... uh, benefit from this mobile food pantry. The food will be available for distribution at 3 and we'll wrap up shortly after 4.30 p.m. And then Saturday is the Kingdom Classic 5K at Little Galilee. And I love to walk this route. It's a good time. And uh, you can come on out and support an incredible cause. Barbara Donahue and the Cope Mission uh, is kind of sponsoring this. Josh Turney from our church is one of the driving forces behind it. They have a breakfast. They have an auction. And we had an anonymous donor, and I don't even know who it is, step forward and say, anyone that says they're a part of First Christian Church, affiliated with First Christian Church, they will pay half the registration fee. So you can run the 5K. You can walk the 5K. um, Come on out Saturday morning. 8 a.m. It is going to be a good time. And then this last announcement that we have here, we encourage you to pray for Clinton, to continue to pray for Clinton. And that 617, we're asking you to take time either at 617 a.m. or 617 p.m. and to pray a prayer, pray for intervention, pray for uh, common sense to prevail, pray that our power plant will remain open. And I, I believe that anything that we ask in the name of Jesus, God's going to hear our prayer, and, and we pray that he will answer our prayer. And, and so I think there is a power in numbers, and if a bunch of us are gathering at 617, and a bunch of us are gathering at 617 p.m., um, th- there's power in that. Last thing I want to let you know, this last week was VBS, and it was awesome, and you're going to actually get to hear from our VBS kids at the end of the service today. They're going to sing one of the songs that uh, was a part of their daily routine, but I need to give a special shout out to Allison and Cassandra and all the volunteers that made VBS a reality. If you helped with VBS this week, would you stand up right now, please? Go ahead and stand up. I know there's a whole bunch of people in here that made that a reality. Stand on up. Thank you so much. 
In a lot of places, VBS is a thing of the past, and morning VBSs especially are a thing of the past, and it was really cool to just see dozens and dozens and dozens of children and teens. Cody did a great job with Operation Facelift throughout our community. Many of you benefited from that, so it was just a great week, and I'm really thankful for their hard work. Uh, this series kind of launched back in March when we looked at Erwin Lutzer's book, Christ from the cross, and we looked at the seven different things that Jesus cried out while hanging on the cross. And then in April of following Easter, we looked at some of Jesus' post resurrection teachings. And then the month of May, we studied the book Extreme Prayer by Greg Pruitt from Pioneer Bible Translators. And we really tried to figure out how can we take prayer to a whole new level as a church? How can we do that as families? How can we do that individually? And uh, hopefully that was beneficial to you. And then this summer, June and July, we're looking at the first church, the church on mission. And what lessons can we learn from that first church? One of the post-resurrection teachings of Jesus uh, that we studied back in April that I'm kind of using as a launching verse for many of these messages was um, in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus basically said, hang out in Jerusalem until the other counselor comes, till the Holy Spirit comes, till the power comes. And the disciples got really excited and they said, wow, are you going to restore Israel to its greatness? Are we getting ready to be the big dogs again? Are we going back to the time of King David? Are we going back to the time of King Solomon? See, Israel was just a, 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 just a small shadow of what it once was in terms of international greatness. And Jesus said, that's none of your business. You don't need to know. I don't even know. It's up to the Father to decide when that's going to happen. But here's what you do need to know. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so he basically said, you're getting ready to carry on. I'm going to ascend into heaven. I'm going to hang out with God the Father. The Holy Spirit's coming and you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to take it to the next level. We're going to take the good news that I've preached literally all over the world, in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And these first couple chapters that we're studying is Peter and John and the others being the witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem. Now last week, Acts chapter 2, we looked at the birthday of the church. And we looked at this supernatural, miraculous outpouring from God of the Holy Spirit. People were just amazed by what was taking place. People who'd never been trained in a language, had never spoken a language, were praising God in that language, and it created a huge stir. People were saying, what in the world is going on? Some people said they've had too much wine, they're drunk. Others said, that can't be, this has to be from God. Because that dude over there is just an ordinary Galilean, and he's praising God in a language that he's never even heard spoken before. And so Peter takes the opportunity to preach, we, we call it the Sermon on the Day of Pentecost, but he takes the opportunity to preach the good news of Jesus. And, and he talks about the prophet Joel and how Joel said this was going to happen 700 years ago. And he talks about David. Pentecost was an annual celebration that really centered around the greatness of David. I told you last week that some people believe tradition that David was both born and he both died on the day of Pentecost. And so he talks about David, but he ends with Jesus. And he ends with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Peter's ready to go home. He's all done. 
He's preached his sermon. He's probably hungry. He's ready to go another direction. But the people stop him and they say, we're moved. I think the text says that they were cut to the heart. They said, we can't leave until we figure out how to be like you. We, we can't leave until we figure out to, how to be followers of Jesus. And Peter said, well, here you go. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 were added to their number that day. And then the end of Acts chapter 2 gives us this picture of how these Christians were so distinctive and declarative and how they made a difference and what they devoted themselves to, to the apostles' teaching into the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And now we come to Acts chapter 3. And the message today is Acts chapter 3, power in the name of Jesus. And just like last week, there's four things that I want you to see. Number one is this, from the pious to the miraculous, Peter and John change a life and the whole crowd takes notice. Let's read the word together, Acts chapter 3. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. This was a ritual that God-fearers had put into their life. They actually had three times of prayer every day. They had a morning time of prayer at the time of sacrifice. They had an evening time of prayer at sunset. And then they had this afternoon time of prayer at three in the afternoon. That's what's playing out right here. Verse 2. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. This was a magnificent entrance to the temple. It was opulent. It was over the top. This was the entrance that, that most people wanted to go into. And so that's why a beggar would want to hang out there. Big crowd going in through the, the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Now, have you ever been there before? You walk in the streets of Chicago, you're walking the streets of St. Louis, and there's a beggar, and you know, usually they say, do you have any spare change? And um, you know, we were in Chicago a couple weeks ago, some of us pastors, and I've never had this happen before. We were getting ready to get on the red line to head to a baseball game, free time, and a guy said, do you have $9? I've never had a beggar ask me for $9 before. I almost gave it to him, because man, $9, that's pretty specific. But um, normally when that, when that happens, what do you do? Do you try to make eye contact with that beggar? What do you do? Kind of look away, right? You, you pretend that you're on your cell phone or you just look the other direction because you don't want to make eye contact. Look at Peter in verse 4. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Christ of Nazareth walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk taking him by the right hand he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong he jumped to his feet and began to walk then he went in with them into the temple courts walking and jumping and praising God when all the people saw him walking and praising God they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called beautiful and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened I, I always chuckle when people try to paint God's word 
as this obscure book written thousands of years ago that there's no confidence in whatsoever. Do you see how specific Luke is as he gives us this account? He's letting us know what gate they walked into. He's letting us know by what hand they helped up the man that was crippled. Luke is writing from the perspective of someone who is gaining this information via eyewitness. And so it's powerful. God's word is powerful. But here's here's two things that I want you to see in this first chunk of scripture. Number one is this. Physical impact, physical change can facilitate spiritual transformation. This is a miracle. This is awesome. All the people at the temple saw this guy begging. They'd probably given him money. They'd probably helped him. They probably thought, "What what a sorry guy this is. What a sad context he has. This guy has no hope. He's crippled, and he's been a cripple his whole life, and now he's doing calisthenics in the temple court. He's walking, and he's leaping, and he's praising God. And because of this physical impact, this physical change, this miracle, people are taking notice. The wheels are starting to turn. There's a lesson, church, for us in 2016 It's easy to say things like mobile food pantries don't matter. Things like Operation Facelift don't matter. We earn the opportunity to tell the story of Jesus when we make a difference in the lives of people physically, with their physical needs. And so don't ever think, yeah, we're throwing $150,000 away through benevolence. It's not making any difference whatsoever. It gives us an opportunity to tell the story of Jesus. Second thing, and this goes back to our uh, extreme prayer series, notice the healing. Jesus, or Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. There's power in this name of Jesus. Peter and John aren't saying, just be religious. Just do some religious things. Grab some religious rituals, and if you do those rituals enough time, then you're going to walk. He says, I heal you in the name of Jesus Christ. Number two, carpe diem, Peter chooses to seize the day. Let's see what Peter does with this. Verse 11, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Some translations might say Solomon's Porch. And this was a porch just outside the Gentile court. And this is where the first Christians hung out a lot of the time. They would go for their time of prayer. They would go for some of the rituals that were part of the day. But then they would gather together. And my guess is what we read about in Acts 2, 42, that they were devoted to the teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. A lot of that took place here in Solomon's porch, Solomon's colonnade. Verse 12, when Peter saw this, he said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. 
You are witnesses of this. By faith, catch this, in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is what Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Verse 19, this is a huge verse to grab a hold of, very relevant for us today. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ, who's been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Peter's sermon uh, last week was powerful. Peter's sermon this week may be even more powerful. Three parts to Peter's sermon. Number one, he says there is power in Jesus' name. He's trying to communicate to them, you're religious. You do religious things. Get that whole religious thing out of your mind. It's all about Jesus. There's power in Jesus' name. Look at verse 16. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see. It had been easy for Peter and John to take a bow and say, yeah, that's me that did the miracle. It's all about me. Check me out. I'm Mr. Miracle. And, and you know, I think that probably was a temptation for these guys. But they are crystal clear. It's not me, Peter says. It's not me, John says. It's Jesus. The power is in Jesus' name. Secondly, second part of the message, repentance is the correct response. What did Peter say last week? Anybody remember when they said they were cut to the heart, they want to be like you, and Peter rose up and he said, repent and be baptized. And he's back to repentance again. Some of you missed last week, so I want to I make sure we get this point. Repentance, it's more than saying sorry. It's more than saying, I messed up. It's more than saying, I wish I would not have traveled down that road. It's change. It's being different. One of my heroes of the faith, Chuck Colson, um, ha had real shame come to his life through the whole Watergate scandal. And he spent time in prison. And he became a crazy, radical follower of Jesus. And he really changed our world. I mean, prison fellowship, I, I mean, I, I could preach multiple sermons on the power of prison fellowship. And that's uh, God using a guy like a Chuck Colson. Colson was interviewed shortly after his conversion, after he'd been released from prison. And uh, a news reporter from Washington really went after him. And he said, you know, it's really convenient, Colson, that you found Jesus in the pen. That's really convenient. It's really convenient that now that you've lost all your power, now that you have all this shame, 
that, that you're crying out in the name of Jesus. And he looked him in the eye on national television. He said, Colson, how are we going to know if this is legit? How are we going to know if you're really changed? Or you're just using this to manipulate us. You're just using us to, to change our perspective of you. And Colson said, well, you know what? That's a great question. Time will tell. Check in on me in five years. Check in on me in 10 years. Check in on me at the end of my life. And Colson passed that test. But that's what Peter's talking about here. Radical change. Repentance. You're going one direction and you stop and now you're traveling another direction. And we don't have a lot of sermons on repentance, do we? We don't have a lot of sermons on, on sin. And shame on us. I would just throw this out to you today. I know some of us came here today and, and we're, we're being weighed down by the burden of sin. There's an area in our life that, that we really don't have control of. That we have not fully given over to God. And I would just tell you that we're going to see throughout the book of Acts this call to change. This call to repent. This call to do a 180. Peter put it like this in verse 9. Repent then. And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Peter's sermon. Number one, there's power in Jesus' name. Number two, repentance is the correct response. And three, the prophets bear witness. Last week, Peter talked about Joel and he talked about David. This week, he's going into Moses and he's talking about Samuel. He's trying to drive home to people who loved the Hebrew Scriptures. They held up the Hebrew scriptures. Some, you might even say, worshipped the Hebrew scriptures. Men like Abraham and Moses and Samuel and David, they were the heroes of the faith. And Peter's saying all of them pointed to Jesus. All of them pointed to a Messiah. All of them pointed to a Christ. And he is Jesus. Peter seizes the day. Number three, the miracle and the message of Jesus lead to incarceration. Let's read the first part of chapter four together. It says, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So they're interrupting the sermon. They're going to check it out. While they were greatly disturbed because of the apostles' teaching, and the people were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. What bothered them? Two things. They don't want to hear about Jesus, and they certainly don't want to hear about the resurrection. That's crazy that someone could be raised from the dead. See, for many of these leaders, they thought on that day we call Good Friday, that was a victory day for them. And then the rumblings came out that, you know, may, maybe he rose again. They say the tomb's empty. They had Roman soldiers guarding him, but people are saying he's walking around, and it was like their worst nightmare. They thought, we were done with this guy. It's all over, they thought. Verse 3. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The, the momentum's building. The movement is growing. More and more people are hearing Jesus proclaimed. They've heard about this miracle. 
And people are saying, you know, maybe for the first time in my life, this makes sense. I want to be a part of this movement. Verse 5, the next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest family. Now, if you remember back to Cries of the Cross, the Erwin Lutzer series that we went through in March, who was the high priest during the last week of Jesus' life? It was Caiaphas that was the high priest. And so the high priest changed every year, but it all stayed within this family. And so now the father-in-law, Annas, is the high priest, and Caiaphas is just one of the other big dogs. Verse 7, they had Peter and John brought in before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? And, And I don't really have a whole lot to say about this other than when you are making a difference for the Lord, Satan's not happy. The deceiver's not happy. And so if you are on fire for Jesus, there's a really good possibility that some temptation or persecution might come your way. And it's going to be interesting to see what Peter and John do, because in the past, when the heat kind of got turned up, what usually was Peter's response? It wasn't positive, was it? He really kind of slid from the spiritual mountaintop down into the spiritual valley. See, it's one thing to stand on the day of Pentecost and preach Jesus, and it's another thing to hang out at Solomon's porch and preach in the name of Jesus. But now they've been hauled in in front of the most powerful religious leaders in the area. And they're ticked. They're angry. They're frustrated. They said, we thought we were done with this Jesus business, and now you're healing someone? Now you're preaching the resurrection? Enough already. And that leads us to number four, no longer afraid. Peter and John reach an entirely new level of boldness. They were afraid after Jesus died. After Jesus died, they were hiding behind locked doors. In the Gospels, they were up and down. But now they have reached a whole new level of boldness. Peter standing before the religious leaders of the day. Look at verse 8. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and we are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone the builders rejected that has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It's not about religious ritual. It's not about doing religious things. It's all about Jesus. Salvation is found nowhere else. There's no other name given to men by which we must be saved. Verse 13, I love this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they hadn't been to seminary. They didn't have any letters at the end of their name. They're just normal, ordinary people. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who'd been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin 
and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they've done an outstanding miracle. We cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. They realize they can't beat them right now. They can't put them in prison. They can't kill them because they're the talk of the town. Everyone realizes they've done this, but they've got to stop this Jesus thing. No more talk about the resurrection. No more talk about Jesus. Verse 18, then they called the men again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Saying, you all decide what you want to do, but we've decided we're obeying God instead of you, and we can't be quiet. We can't stop preaching Jesus. We can't stop telling the story. Have you ever met someone that's had such a radical conversion, such a radical transformation, they can't stop talking about Jesus? They're just on fire. It's all they want to talk about. They used to want to talk about anything else under the sun, but it's all about Jesus. That's where they're at right now. They're like, we're going to be here tomorrow. We're going to preach. We're going to do it unashamedly. We're going to preach death, burial, and resurrection. We're going to preach the name of Jesus. And if you all have to do something, you do something. But we're going to be right here. That's boldness in the name of Jesus. Verse 21. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. And I'm going to do this quickly, and we're going to call it a day. Three things to see here. Healing. How did the healing take place? It took place in the name of Jesus. Verse 10. Just like he explained previously in the sermon in Acts 3, he said it's in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified and God raised from the dead, that this man stands healed before you. It's all about Jesus. Number two, salvation. There's no other name. And if you're an underlying person, verse 12 is an underlined verse. We live in a day and an age where it's considered hate speech by some to say there's one way. Um, and, and if you want to find that out, if you're a Facebook person or a social media person, um, just do a little social experiment. You can do it this afternoon. Put on Facebook that Jesus is the only way to the Father and then quote this verse of Scripture and then just sit back and watch what happens. You'll have some people pretty unhappy. I have a preacher friend in Indiana who did just that. He kind of shared some thoughts on Muhammad Ali and the funeral and just that there's hope only in the name of Jesus. And man, people were just coming out of the woodwork blasting. Who do you think you are to say there's only one way? That's so narrow-minded. That's so rigid. That's so un-2016. That's so un-America. American. And Peter said, I don't care. Salvation's found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And then finally, obedience, verses 19 and 20. He said, obey God, not man. That's our choice. We're going to obey God, not man. How does that play out in our world today? Obey God, not man. What's that going to look like the the remaining months of 2016 and into 2017 and 2018? 
is it possible that we may come to understand this idea, this concept, this thought in ways we never dreamed were possible? I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Here's your bottom line for today. Hopefully you've picked it up already. Christianity is not about being religious. It's not merely a series of pious behaviors. It's all about a person, Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the chance to, uh, to gather together. Thank you for the opportunity to be in church together. And we just thank you for the hope we have in your son, Jesus. And um, I, I am just in awe of, of the transformation that we've seen in people like Peter and John. You know, they've gone in just a, a matter of weeks from being in hiding following the death of Jesus to standing before the, the most powerful leaders in that area, religious leaders in that area, boldly preaching Jesus, unashamedly preaching Jesus. God, help us to have that boldness. Help us to never be afraid to, to let the whole world know Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. We love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.